Well, good evening. And I know that tonight is a little bit different uh, than normal, but thank you for gathering with us to exalt or to explore Christ. Um, my prayer is that despite being far from ideal, that God's grace uh, in the midst of this crazy time uh, will still strengthen our church and strengthen our walks with him. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And, and we're continuing through our exile, series, uh, exile series in First Peter. And now we come to chapter three, verses one through seven. Now, uh, what we're talking about today is the relationship of wives to husbands and husbands to wives. And so you've got a guy preaching to women on how they can be better wives. You know, what could go wrong? We thought that uh, last week preaching on uh, submitting to our governing authorities and submitting to our employers, we thought that was difficult. And, and now um, we come to this. And, and, but praise God. This is why we do text-driven preaching. This is why we, we preach through books of the Bible because it forces us to talk about the hard topics in our lives. And so, by God's grace, we will preach his word and we will rely on his Holy Spirit to give us understanding. And as we look at this text, we will be grateful that our failures and our shortcomings are forgiven by Christ's work to die on the cross and resurrect in place for our sins. Now, what's interesting about Wyoming is that at about six months out of the year, there could be snow on our ground. And, and for uh, a few of those months, it's, it's very heavily uh, opportunity to have a lot of snow. Uh, I specifically think of here recently when it dumped about two feet in one week. Um, every single parking lot, specifically if you were to go to the Walmart parking lot, you could not see any lines anywhere. There's just so much snow that you can't see the lines. Now, uh, you have, when that happens, you have to park wherever. Because you can't see the lines, you have to park wherever you think is best. But that doesn't mean that the lines are not there. And now, uh, for the other six months of the year, when there's not snow on the ground, there are clear lines. But what are these things? Now, don't shoot me. I know I'm not originally from Wyoming, so I'm just making a, a critical observation that in the six months where snow's not in the Walmart parking lot, people still don't know how to park inside the lines because we've gotten so used to, for six months out of the year, so often we can't see the lines. We just learned, ah, the lines don't matter. Let's just park however we want. But if you've paid attention, that makes it very frustrating to park anywhere in our state because everyone is just doing their own thing that not very many vehicles can fit or someone's always parking way too close to you. In a very real way, that's what's happened with marriage in our day. There are lines. There are designated places and roles and lanes for us to operate in but because our culture has brought in so much distraction and so much confusion, call it snow, our culture has brought in so much stuff that it just covers the lines and makes it hard to see what it is that we're supposed to be doing in marriage. And so then, even when that confusion goes away, we're so used to not doing what is right inside of our marriages that we, that we just get used to doing it the wrong way. Everyone is doing what they think is best and it's, it's tough in our day and age, it's hard to see those lines, and so we default to making our own design, and guess what? It's not working. What I want to do tonight is I want to read this passage that clearly explains God's design for husbands and wives in marriage and what my hope is, is that this text, that, that through this text, God would come into our lives like a snowplow and would clear out all of the confusion that's blurring the lines and that we would see clearly God's design for our lives and for our marriages and for our society. Now, I get that not all of you are married. Please don't check out. Why? Because almost all of you, if you're listening and you're not yet married, almost all of you will one day get married. And these principles, these lines, these designs, this is things that we can be progressing in and we can be developing these disciplines of godliness prior to marriage. 
If you're called to singleness and you never get married, you will still be friends and be discipling people who will be married. And so it's essential that we understand God's design for marriage. And I'm also aware of some of you that are listening that are in single parent homes. Let me say this. Where brokenness exists, God's grace abounds. So let's live in transparent community and and to the single parent there, lean into the church and and allow us to help in the absence that that you're experiencing. Just like the Walmart parking lot, it is designed to be maximally optimized with X amount of vehicles that park in these lines. So, so it is that if we're not parking in the lines at Walmart, we won't fully experience uh, what that parking lot is meant to do. So it is that if we're not following God's design in marriage, we will never realize the full potential of our marriages um, and what God has intended for those. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, as you're in your homes and you're pulling up this text, let me just say that if you don't own a Bible, um, if you're watching this on our website, then if you're watching this on our website, then what I want you to do is uh, go to our contact page and then drop an email saying, I need, I need a Bible and give us your address. We will mail you one. Um, if you're watching on our Facebook page, then message us. We want you to have a copy of God's word so that you can build your life upon that foundation. Now, Read this text with me. In the same way, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry and fine clothes, verse 4, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands." Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The first thing that I wanna say as we take a look at this passage is that submission is always misunderstood if not rooted in Christ. We just read what in our culture is a difficult passage. And what I wanna say first is that submission is always misunderstood if it is not rooted in Christ. And so um, let me read to you out of Ephesians. So typically we preach out of one text because these texts stand alone on their own. Now, due to our cultural climate and because this is a hot topic issue, I want to zoom us out just for a moment and and let's build a framework of God's design in marriage. Um, And Ephesians explains this very, very clearly and is helpful uh, to complement the passage that we're in today. So Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 29 through 33, it says, For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. What is incredibly helpful as we build a framework for this is verse 32. This mystery, what mystery? The mystery of the relationship between husband and wife inside of marriage and the roles God designs for us in that. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
So friends, what's happening is that Paul, when he's talking about God's design for marriage in the book of Ephesians, is he is saying that the, the role of wife and the role of husband, both of those are symbols and are pictures of Christ and the church. So Christ, what did Christ do for the church, the bride? This is how we're supposed to, to build our love for our, for our wives. Christ pursued the lost, the bride. He, he pursued the church. Uh, he gave us life for the church. He leads the church and he uh, loves and adores and cherishes the church. And so when he's saying the husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church, he's saying that we ought to mimic the way that God loves the church. And then the church does not love Jesus the same way that Jesus loved them. The church submits to because Christ has done all these things, he's worthy of being followed. And so God says to the church, he says, church, submit to the Lord. Because he's self-sacrificial, he's loving, he's patient, he's gentle, he's kind. Um, he's doing all of these things for your benefit so you can trust that you can follow and obey and, and follow them. So that's what's taking place in Ephesians And so Peter and Paul are both saying the same thing in complimentary fashion. They're saying just as Christ loved the church and just as the church loves Christ, so also husbands ought to love their wives and wives ought to love their husbands. Now, if marriage design is a picture of the gospel, the good news, the fact that Christ came, pursued the church, died for the church, and, and forgives the sins of the church for those, all for those who repent and put their faith in him. If marriage is designed to be a picture of that, then if we distort the roles that God has given us, we are in fact distorting the gospel itself. That's why I'm grateful that despite its tough nature to preach through this, it is essential. It is essential because our marriage design that God has given us reflects the gospel. If we distort that design, we are distort the design he gave us for the marriage. If we distort the design of marriage, we are distorting the gospel. And so church, it is highly essential that we know what God wants for us in marriage. And so the first thing before we move on into the passage is submission is always misunderstood if it's not rooted in Christ and his self-sacrificial love and leadership of the church. So as we continue on, read in verse one. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. It says in the same way, very similar to how we treat therefore. So last week we talked about how all Christians are called to submit to one another, to our governing authorities, and to our employers. And so all Christians are called to submit. That's the huge umbrella that we're working with. And then Peter um, kind of narrows it down and he gets specific and he says, now everyone is submitting and everyone is putting others' needs above their own and, and, and all for the glory of Christ. Now, in the same way that everyone is submitting and, and putting others' needs above their own, so in that same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way of their wives. So the wife's role, the wife's design that we see clearly in this passage and, and, and to bring glory to God is to submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, I've done said the cuss word now, the submit word, right? That's a cuss word in our culture. But, but what I want you to see is that this passage would have been liberating, not oppressive to the original audience. See, what was going on in the original audience is there was three things that we need to pay attention to. In the Greco-Roman culture, there was, there, was a, there was a household rule. The, head, the husband was the head of the household and what he said went. Now, that's to a fault. We're not agreeing with that in every syllable of the nature of that, okay? But, so there's three things that we, it, we will never understand this passage unless we know them. First, um, if you were married to a man in this context, in this culture, um, 
the household code of the culture was that whatever gods the husband believed in and followed, that was by default the gods that his wife would have to follow and believe in. Second, uh, she would not be able to practice a religion on her own if it was outside of her husband's view. And then another thing is that women in that time were not supposed to have friends unless it was their husband's friends. So very oppressive culture that Peter is writing this to for women, okay? And so he says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. So he's not saying that you have to do what every single man in the world is telling you to do. It's saying that you are to submit yourself. And that word there means to obey, to follow, and to trust. And so he's wanting us to trust, to follow, and obey our own husbands. It was essential that he said this because if a woman was to come to Christ then she has now violated three very important things in that culture. Again, we're not saying they were right, but we do live in a broken world. And so uh, she believes in Christ. She's now going against the, the household code of her family and that that's not, if her husband is not a believer, um, she is believing in a God that's not the God of her family. Okay, so she's doing that uh, too. For her to be believing in another God could be seen as rebellion of a wife because she's choosing other gods over, or other God, the one true God, Jesus, over the household gods of her family. Uh, so there's uh, not, not following the normal rules, rebelling against that. And then third, <coughs> third, um, if this Christian wife is going to Christian church gatherings, then likely she's going to be fellowshipping and having friends with people who are not her husband's friends. And so what you see is this new faith in light of a broken culture could cause uh, Christianity to be really looked down upon by the lost community around them because it's breaking every single fabric of their society. And so Peter is telling the wives to submit to their own husbands. Now, if your husband in this time was a Christian, there's really no issues here. You've got two people following the same God um, and this husband, theoretically, as we continue down this passage, is going to be loving you, leading you, caring for you, sacrificing for your good and for your needs. And so there's really no issue here. To, the call then is if you have a Christian husband, then to submit, them, which, submit to them, which means to... Um, honor them, obey them, and follow them, and encourage them. And so this is a good thing. This is good for our families, good for our society. But submission is God's design for the wife, regardless of the husband's salvation. However, God says that even with a non-Christian husband, his design is the greatest way to bring them to Christ. It says right there in verse 1, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word. By the way their wives lives when the by the way their wives live when they observe your pure reverent lives. So as we dive right into the beginning of this passage we see that submission is encouraging and evangelistic. Again think about the context in which they're operating. We're going to get on to application and what this means for our day today. But know that the women who would have read this letter would not have felt oppressed or demeaned. They would have been honored and felt liberated because God gave them an encouraging and an evangelistic way to operate within their society. What submission is not? Submission, submission is not sit down and shut up. It doesn't mean, wife, that you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean, wife, that you can't ever um, encourage or, or challenge your husband with an idea or with, some, with a thought. It doesn't mean that, that you don't get to make any decisions. It doesn't mean all the negative ex exceptions that we try and go to when we see the word submit. The Bible never tells the woman um, in, in the marriage to just, hey, sit down, shut up, your opinion is not needed. That is a cultural lie. Submission is encouraging and it is evangelistic. It is God's design. Now, what's powerful about this? It says, even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. I think of 
Uh, Lee Strobel, the man who wrote the book, A Case for Christ. Um, in many ways, he's a famous Christian now, and, and he writes books, and he, and he does all kinds of ministry geared towards atheists who don't believe in God, and he's explaining why it is reasonable to believe in God and to follow Jesus Christ. Um, this all began because out, they were, him and his wife were married. Uh, they were well into their marriage, and she became a Christian, and he starts thinking, oh, great. Now my wife's going to become one of those holier-than-thous, I'm not good enough, Yada, yada, yada. She's going to start nagging me and telling me all these things that I need to be doing better because I'm not a Christian like she is. And he goes, but to my surprise, she became more encouraging to me. She became more peaceful. She became more kind. And he said that without his wife ever saying a word to him, he watched the difference that God had made in her life and it was that difference, that what this text is saying, the pure, reverent lives. When he observed that, God used his wife's example to bring him to Christ. And now, like I said, he's a famous Christian that's constantly going all over the world, sharing the gospel with atheists who do not believe in God. So submission is encouraging and evangelistic. It is not sit down and shut up. Uh, as we work through the text, we will further develop that, that, that submission is a good and godly design, not an oppressive and, and hurtful design. So as we continue on, read with me in verse, uh, the back half of, or in verse three, join me in verse three. It says, don't let your beauty consists of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Let's tackle two things, okay? What in the world is a gentle and quiet spirit? Um, and, and what is beauty? Well, what we see in these verses right here is that beauty, by God's design, is more than skin deep. Right? Beauty, by God's design, is more, is more than skin deep. <clears throat> and so we're going to tackle those two things. What is beauty and, and what in the world is a gentle and quiet spirit? And so... Um, Gentle and quiet spirit. You may read that, and, and as my wife and I talked about this passage, she laughed because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, because she's like, there's nothing gentle and quiet about me. And if you know my wife well, that is so true. <clears throat> I promise I don't have coronavirus. I don't know what's going on. Um, but if you know my wife, you'll know that she is a passionate person. She is excited. She is emotive. She gets pumped up about things. She gets fired up about things. Now, if you really want to see her not gentle and not quiet from what we would assume this means, um, find something that is an injustice. And boy, is Ashley furious. And she wants to see justice brought to those that need it. And, and she wants to see people taken care of and loved and, 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 and honored. And so my wife, when we read this at first glance, we think, well, I'm not gentle or quiet. So how in the world can I be the wife God wants me to be if I'm not gentle or quiet? Well, praise the God, praise God. Again, submission doesn't mean sit down and shut up. What gentle and quiet is a strategic expression of submission. We're gonna get to that here in just a moment. Uh, gentle and quiet means that you have Christ-like peace and Christ-like kindness. It is, it is not sit down and shut up, but again, it's a strategic way of operating with our marriages to see God working in our lives and in our husband's lives and in the life of our society. Uh, we'll get to more on that in just a second. But, but it, very clearly it says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles uh, or wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather, so don't let your beauty be outside, skin deep, um, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. What I think of is godly empowerment, in worldly empowerment. So God, through his word, the Bible says, if you want to be empowered, women, if you want to be beautiful, then let your character define you. 
Let your pure, reverent lives, let your virtue speak for itself and praise God that that is the reality. That's what God says. Let your character define you. Do you want to know what the world says is beauty? Do you want to know what the world says is empowerment for women? Let me give you the pinnacle of ideas. The Super Bowl halftime show. That's what the world thinks is empowerment. The Super Bowl halftime show had incredibly revealing outfits of the two lead singers and, and performers that were there that night. Um, it had intensely sexualized dancing and at one point it had a stripper pole. And yet the message to young girls was, this is what empowerment is. Friends, that's where the systemic oppression and, and demeaning nature of women exists. Telling them that, that what it really means to be empowered is to have the ability to wear revealing outfits, dance sexually, and, and get on a stripper pole. That's what demeans women and damages our society. God, in his definition of beauty and empowerment, flies in the face of that. And he says, let your character be what is beautiful. And let doing what is right be what empowers you. And so we look to God for a much better design when it comes to that. Beauty by God's design is more than skin deep. And now let's, let's get back to gentle and quiet spirit. Now, what I'll say again, a gentle and quiet spirit is the strategic expression of submission. Again, this is Christ-like gentleness and peacefulness. God says that these qualities in a wife um, is imperishable beauty. Ladies, if you want your daughters to know that they're beautiful and that they don't need to be insecure, then show them a great example of respecting their father and living life in full of character, virtue, honesty, and trustworthiness. Knowing that in seeing the character of their mother, they'll see true beauty and know that they too can attain beauty and what we would consider empowerment and having dignity. Now, I said, Tyler, this is getting tough. Yeah, I, I get that again, the snow has covered the lines. We haven't seen good pictures of, of submission and, and, and good leadership of husbands in the home, but let this word of God instruct us, let it clear out the confusion, let it help us find our design and our role in marriage that God has given to us. He, he roots this gentle and quiet spirit into uh, the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah. It says, uh, verse five, for in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way. What way? Not letting their beauty be external, but letting it be about the character of their lives. Um, it says, in this way, by submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. The church in First Peter, in Asia Minor, they would have understood uh, who were the, the role models of that time. But Peter doesn't point them to a role model in the Greco-Roman culture. He points them to a role model a, a few thousand years removed from that context and culture and way back into Jewish history. What would be understood if you were a Jew is that Abraham and Sarah were a good couple. Now, they're not perfect. If you read through the book of Genesis, they're not perfect. But they were viewed in Jewish tradition as uh, exemplary people, specifically Sarah as a good wife who, uh, who honored and encouraged and followed and trusted her husband. So what Peter is doing is he's saying, friends, um, here is the design that God gives you for marriage. Now, don't just look to the role models of your day and age. What I want to do is I want us to zoom out to 30,000 feet, and I want us to look back to the heritage of our faith, which, ladies, if you're a Christian, you are now a part of this family, this part of this legacy, this covenant family that has believed in God, and Sarah is a phenomenal example. She loved, she honored, she cherished, she followed, she trusted her husband, Abraham, and you too 
two are her children, meaning that uh, we are in the body, uh, the family of God by faith through Jesus Christ. So we are connected to Abraham and to Sarah uh, spiritually. And it says that we have, or to the women, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. What I think is powerful about this is one, he says, women, I know that this is a challenging thing to accomplish in our day and age, but I want us to remember that this is what godly women have been doing since the beginning. Let me root it back to Sarah a few thousand years prior to the time they were existing. That's a different time, a different place, and a different culture. See, friends, submission is not the result of a sexist, patriarchal, misogynistic society. Submission transcends culture because of its superior design by God for marriage. If submission makes you feel oppressed, it's not biblical submission, it's sin. Submission is dignity-giving, life-giving giving and freedom filled. And as we already talked about, uh, whether your husband is a Christian or whether he is lost, submission is the most encouraging and the most evangelistic way, meaning that when our wife uh, will honor, cherish, trust, and follow her husband, um, that transcends all cultures. No matter what time, no matter what place, no matter where you live, or what the culture is saying about you, God had a design for marriage that will thrive in any condition. Again, let me really drive this home. Submission is not demeaning. How can I say that? Because in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, come and follow me for I am gentle the exact same word for this gentle and quiet spirit. If Jesus uses that word to describe himself in Matthew and as well in the book of 1 Corinthians, it talks about how the Father is submitted to the will of the Father, or that that Christ the Son is submitted to the will of the Father and that the Holy Spirit is submitted to uh, doing the work, explaining who Christ is and and doing the work of God. We, We see submission inside of of our God and who he is inside of the Trinity. Submission is in no way, shape, or form. If you're doing it right and if you're obeying God's word, it is not demeaning. Again, if submission is oppressing you, that is sin, not submission. God's design is for freedom and for life. Now, just as I said earlier that Submission is always misunderstood if it is not rooted in Christ and what he has done in, in for us. Uh, so it is. Submission oftentimes gets put, it's all the woman's job. Ladies, let's take a breath and let's hear what God has to say to the husbands. What type of leadership should we be seeing? So join me in verse seven. It says, husbands, In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, in the same way, just as it started to the women, all Christians are called to put others' needs above their own and to submit to others out of glory for God. Wives is to submit and trust and honor and obey your husbands. And then husbands, it is to live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs. Now, as I read this, <laughs> it says, um, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. And so what I see clearly is that husbands honor their wives when they're understanding their wives. Men, if you're listening to this, let that sink in. Husbands honor their wives when they're understanding their wives. Now, if you're like me, um, I love my wife so much, but there are so many times that I think that she's not understandable. I think, God, how, how have you called me to live with Ashley in an understanding way when what she's doing is literally ununderstandable? And so I, I begin to just, uh, we, we have this tension that comes between us because my wife's trying to communicate something to me. I think she's being irrational, ridiculous, or whatever it is. And, and I'm not being understanding of her and therefore I'm dishonoring her and I'm listening to her. What is God's design for the man? It says that in a unique way within the marriage, husband's 
Live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, we have no idea the weight and the burden that our wives feel day in and day out. And God made them different than us for a reason. We need them and they need us. God created us different so that we could complement one another, picture the gospel, and display the glory of God to a, a lost and dying world. So husbands, honor, husbands honor their wives when they are understanding their wives. Understanding means regardless of right versus wrong, you hear your wife and you relate to how she's feeling. I think about uh, from my own uh, from my own context, and everyone's marriage is different, and everyone's situation is different. Uh, and so I'm just going to give you one from me, and, and we'll work on application in, in, in your own lives, right? But uh, for me, uh, I have a wife, and we have two children, and and my wife is a stay-at-home mother, and. And so what, what happens is, is a lot of times I, I used to come home and our house was destroyed and my wife was not in a good mood. And, and here I said the dumbest thing in the world. You ready, ladies? You can, you can stone me later. I've already apologized to my wife and apologized to God for being an obstinate jerk. But I'd call home and be like, why is the house messy? Why are you in a bad mood? And, and why, why am I not being welcomed as a guest and, and as, an, as an honored guest when I come back to my house? How incredibly stupid I was. What it took was a lot of time of my wife explaining to me um, as an ignorant guy as to like how, what life looks like for my wife and, and all the stresses and all the things that she has to do. Now, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you have kids. It doesn't matter if your wife works or stays at home. Guys, we are not our wives. And so when they tell us that something is challenging or hard and that they're not, uh, they're not living up to our expectations, maybe we need to get off of our high horses. Maybe we need to humble ourselves and go, I need my wife and I'm called to listen to her, to understand her and to honor her. It's taken me a few years of listening to my wife to really go, God, I'm so sorry for how I ever mistreated her, how I was ever unkind and ungrateful to my wife. But I only got to the point where I feel like I can truly honor and respect my wife well once I began understanding where she's coming from. What, what makes life challenging for my wife? It may not be challenging for me, but it doesn't matter. I'm not my wife. God's called me to honor my wife, not to put my own expectations on her, but to listen to her. Understanding is not thinking that your wife is an irrational, emotional person that's weak and, and should be ignored because she's not as superior and as tough and as courageous as you. That's being a jerk. So husbands honor their wives when they are understanding their wives. The next thing. Um, it says... Husbands, the same way, live with your wives in a way of understanding as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs. As with a weaker partner. Pastor, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? Okay, again, think back to the original audience. In that day, and, and this is true for today, and if you'll disagree with this, then you're going to disagree with a lot of things that we say. But generally, men are stronger than women. Now, I know that some of you are watching this right now, and it is true that if you came and you punched me in the face, it is almost incredibly accurate that I will fall down and be knocked out, okay? I'm not saying that there's never been a woman that's stronger than a man, and I'm not saying that some of you who are listening to this right now could punch me and knock me out. That's not what I'm arguing. I'm arguing that generally men are physically stronger than women. And what I am saying with confidence is that in the first century, Men were more social, social economically empowered and stronger than women. 
So what he's saying is he was, he's telling the husband, he says, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, knowing that she's physically weaker than you and that socially she does not have the same opportunities as you. He said, well, Tyler, that's sexist and you're saying that women, no, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that despite our differences, again, women, even today, women are generally weaker than men and generally do not have the same social opportunities and economic opportunities as men. And so this is an accurate statement. It says, husbands, uh, as with a weaker partner. And you say, well, that's sexist. That's demeaning. That's oppressive to women. No, listen to what God is saying. It says, even though those realities are true, it says, live with them in an understanding way and showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers are not hindered. Guys, let me try and give you an example of what it means to honor your wife. I, I just bought uh, here recently the Vortex Viper 6x24x50 scope. I can't wait to go hunting with that thing. I saved up for months to be able to afford it. And I got it, I'm so excited, guess what? That thing is put with a neoprene case over it and then, uh, then it's put inside of a really thick case to make sure that in no circumstances should that scope ever get damaged. I'm going to use that scope a handful of times in a year. Is it important? Yeah, it's important. But as I was preparing this message, man, did that floor me. Did I protect and treat with greater honor a scope on a gun than I do my best friend, my bride, my wife. I might use that scope six times, maybe 20, who knows. But I rely on my wife all day, every day. Yet I'm less gentle with her. I'm harsh with her. I don't work to understand her and I'm damaging the most valuable asset and friend in my life. Friends, my wife and your wife deserves more honor than any possession in our lives because our wives are far more valuable and worthy of better care than anything in the world. So it says, husbands, we are to be understanding, hearing our wives, trusting them more than we trust ourselves when it comes to what they're feeling and how they're operating in life. We're supposed to show them honor as co-heirs. Again, this was written in, yes, an oppressive culture to women, but the gospel brings us out of oppression. It keeps God's design of submission and, and, and your husband leading your home, but it, it, it levels the playing field. It says showing them honor as co-heirs, which means that in that society, the husband was the one. It was his gods that we followed. It was his friends that we have. It was his leadership that we must submit to and all these things. But what the gospel is saying, it says that, yes, your husband is still the leader of the home, but you are a co-heir, which means that when it comes to our salvation, we are equal. We have equal dignity, but we have distinct roles. And so if at all, man, you are tempted to demean uh, or to take advantage of your wife as the weaker partner, um, you are in violation of God's word and God's will. And it says that you are to honor your wife as a co-heir. You both are equally saved, equally have the Holy Spirit, and are equally loved by God. There is no superiority when it comes to man versus wife inside of our marriage. But rather we have a design that complements one another. A closing word to the men is that husbands understanding and honoring wives means unhindered prayers. Did you catch that? Live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor as a co-heir of the grace of life so that your prayers are not hindered. There is an assumption that if you are a man of God, you are constantly praying and seeking the Lord. Can I be blunt with you? Men, what this passage is saying is that God doesn't want to listen to you if you're not listening to your wife. So again, ladies, when you see this design that God has given us and you think, is this oppressive? Absolutely not. And God 
concretes that point by saying this is, this is to be freeing, this is to be liberating, this is to be life-giving and dignity-giving uh, and empowering for, for man and for wife. Why? Because God is literally saying at the end of all of this design, he goes, guys, if you're not listening to your wives, I don't want to hear from you. So husbands, if we want our prayers to be strong for our families, if we want our prayers to be heard by God, then we must be hearing our wives. Let us be men that pursue God faithfully. Now, let us be men that pursue God faithfully and understand our wives, honoring our wives, treating them as co-heirs of the grace of life. So what must we do? Again, I told you in the beginning of this sermon that my hope was that this text would act as the snowplow that removes the cultural confusion when it comes to the design of marriage that God has given us and that we could then operate uh, fully realizing the potential of our marriages. So what must we do? We must uphold God's design for marriage with submission and with headship, the men leading their wives. Here's the deal. If the wife is trusting and honoring and encouraging her husband and the husband is listening and self-sacrificially giving himself to take care of his wife, then working out the application of headship and submission will be much more effective and healthy. This doesn't mean that women have to be the cooks. Several of my guy friends are far better cooks than anyone I've ever met. This doesn't mean that uh, the guy has to mow the yard or the girl has to mow the yard or the dishes have to be done by someone specific. What this does mean is that as our families operate uh, for the sake of the gospel and are spreading the, the good news of the kingdom of God, we must uh, uphold God's design that husbands are leading out, they're initiating things, they're taking care of their wives, they're understanding their wives, they're honoring them and, and, and they're being gracious with them and that the, the wives are then submitting to, honoring, obeying and following that leadership which then gives us a great picture of Christ's love for his church which then gives the church and the lost community a picture of the gospel and it ultimately brings more glory to God and more people into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you're listening to this and you've seen in your own marriage how healthy this makes your marriage or, or you're aware of a Christian couple that you've seen uh, headship and submission played out very well in their marriage and, but maybe this is the opposite of what you've seen. Maybe you've seen someone taken advantage of. Maybe you've seen someone constantly disrespectful. Again, when understood right, submission and headship is God glorifying and liberating. As we close, I, I want us to think, one, what are we gonna do with the word that we've heard? If you're single, what are you gonna do? What type of wife are you going to be one day? Begin working on that now. Men, what kind of husband are you gonna be? Begin learning how to understand now. Again, for the, for the single parent home, for that broken situation, let the church step in where there is an absence. Please let us love you. But ultimately, the fulfillment of marriage and the fulfillment of life is only found in obeying God's design for your life to follow Christ. So you'll only find fulfillment in this life when you're obeying God's design for it. And first, before you can have a healthy marriage, you have to have a healthy relationship with God. And I, I'll go back to, to Ephesians and, and, and what uh, Paul says to the church and, and to husbands and wives there. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. 
If you're listening to this in your home tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, you've never turned away from your sins and followed Christ's way for living your life and God's design for your life, God's design for your marriage, then what I want to say is that he has already come. He's made the proposal. He did all the work. He set up the opportunity and he's saying, will you please follow me? Again, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, uh, with the word gentle, he says, um, come follow me for my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I am gentle and lowly in spirit. Christ says, I will never degrade you. I will never demean you. I will never disrespect you, but I will constantly serve you. I am determined to take care of you. I'm determined to, to bring you to the full potential of your life. And so if you're listening to this, and you think, man, my marriage needs this help. You need Christ first. If you're coming to this and you say, I've never been loved like this, I wish I could have a love that was so life-giving. It starts with Christ. So I'm gonna ask you in your homes as you watch, if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. If you want to respond to Christ's proposal to you, of, of him saying, will you come and follow me? He is a gracious leader. He is a life-giving savior. He came, he was perfect, he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And he rose again from the dead, paving the way to fulfillment in life, the life that God intended for you. Do you want to follow him? If that's the case, again, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you, in your homes right now, would you pray this prayer? God, I need you. I have not trusted your design. I've made my own rules. I've done things my own way. And I've been left empty. God, forgive my sin. Give me the strength to trust your design for my life. Help me follow you. Clear out the cultural confusion that I may trust you and trust your word. Forgive my sins. I leave them behind. And I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Now, if you prayed that prayer, again, message us if you're on Facebook. Go to the contact page on our website and send us your name. Let us know that you decided to trust Jesus. Now I wanna pray for our church and then I'll close and we'll have a time to respond with singing to God in praise. Let's pray. God, what a heavy text. What a weighty topic. And God, all we've done tonight is scratch the surface. Lord, help our church to trust you and your design for marriage for men and for women. God, help us to live this out. God, help us to ask our questions. God, help us to figure out what submission and headship looks like in 2020 in Wyoming. God, help us. For we know that you have made a design and that design is to maximize the potential of marriage. God, give us grace as we find how to live rightly within your design. God, may this church be a church filled with healthy marriages that display the gospel and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.